Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. As we continue our study in the book of Romans, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. This is God's Word. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. 
But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Continuing in chapter 15, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. This passage continues what was said in chapter 13 that we looked at last time. It's talking about how we're to live a life of love. What does that look like? This is a description of what it looks like to live a life of love. It's unselfish. It's not concerned about my rights. It's concerned about the needs of others. And the fact of the matter is we're not all just alike. Even people who love each other have differences. This chapter deals with accepting one another and not passing judgment regarding disputable matters. Let me make a few quick points. Point number one, not all matters are disputable. What matters are we talking about? Well, we're not talking about the things he described in chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour is come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness. These are not disputable. And put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. What's he saying? Not everything's disputable. If somebody decides they want to have an affair, and they say, hey, don't you judge me. Excuse me, that's not a disputable matter. If somebody decides they're going to embezzle some money from the business where they work, it's not a disputable matter. Stealing is off the list. That's not okay. Not all matters are disputable. Some things are clearly repeatedly stated in Scripture as being sinful. That's not what Paul's talking about. Some people 
think that everything is disputable. Some people think nothing is disputable. Everybody needs to be exactly like us. We're all going to dress alike. We're going to have a little uniform. You can wear this, this, or this, but you can't wear anything that isn't like us. Okay? Not all things are disputable, but not all things are indisputable. And this passage deals with that. This passage tells us something that we should learn about who is weak and who is strong. Because if you've been in the legalist camp like I grew up in, you think you're the strong ones. Okay? You think that those who forbid this and this and this and this and this and this and want everybody to be just cookie cutter the same, we're the strong ones. We're the spiritually strong ones. And then you read this passage and it turns out, oh, we're the weak ones? Wait, how'd that happen? Well, uh, God says so. So you're telling me the people who, like, think a little bit of knee showing is okay, that they may actually be spiritually stronger than me? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Why? Well, because they're focused on the stuff that matters, hopefully. The weak are those who are terribly concerned and have a tender conscience and feel like they mustn't do this and they mustn't do that and they mustn't do this and they mustn't do that. And it's like trying to walk down the sidewalk and make sure you don't step on a crack or you'll break your mother's back. Okay? That's the way some people envision the Christian walk. It's a walk through life trying desperately not to do the wrong thing. That's weakness. You know what you need to do when you're walking down the sidewalk? You need to keep your eye up ahead and know where you're going. You need to keep an eye out for other people who may need your help. Or you might trip. Eh. If you do, get up and brush yourself off. The strong are those who are focused on Jesus and not on externals. Folks, with current events, many of us are realizing all the more that our time on earth is temporary. While I have many on my heart that I pray will surrender to Jesus, I'm beginning to get very excited about soon spending forever with him. Can you relate? If you're like many of us who are rethinking our wills, I'd like to ask you to consider leaving a gift to support the kids at Wears Valley Ranch. We have a program called Legacy 145. It's based on Psalm 145.4. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. If participating in something that will pass on the gospel to future generations after you're in heaven interests you, go to wvr.org and click on the icon for Legacy 145. That's wvr.org and click on the Legacy 145 button. Or you can give us a call at 866-41-ABIDE. That's 866-41-ABIDE. To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown Where Jesus is And is holding out his hand Next point, we are to judge how we live, not everybody else. We're to judge how we live. We're to pay attention and say, Lord, 
What do you want me to do? Notice verses 10 through 13. You then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. My concern should be that I live a life of love where I'm not tripping other people up. I've shared at various times over the years why I quit drinking, having grown up in a teetotaler home where alcohol, my mother wouldn't even allow real vanilla flavoring in the house. Okay? Can you imagine? Because it had alcohol in it. And my mother had seen during the Depression the devastation that alcohol brought to so many people. Her dad would go into the inner city to do ministry at a mission. Mom would go to play the piano. He would sing and do chalk talks. And mother got to know some of these derelicts who would come to the mission and found out that this one used to be an architect, this one used to be a banker, this one used to be an attorney, this one used to be a doctor. And their lives had been devastated, not just by the economic disaster that was involved in the Depression, but by the fact that when that happened, they turned to alcohol and that addiction was destroying their lives. And so mother hated alcohol and it was, it was not even a consideration when we were growing up. Well, and I got to Christian college and I, it, I didn't go out partying because that, <laughs> I've never wanted to be drunk a day in my life. I mean, I can do stupid with no assistance from anybody. Okay? So the idea of, of going out and getting plastered, to me, was as unappealing as getting poison ivy. I mean, just no thank you. But the idea of going to a Passover Seder and sharing in the sacramental wine, I decided that I liked Manischewitz. Hmm. So I guess if I'm going to have spaghetti might be okay to have some red wine, or if I'm going to have fish, might be okay to have some white wine. What's the problem? Biblically, I don't have a problem with that. So, good. Don't drink to excess. Never want to get drunk, not even get a buzz on. Just having a little bit of something nice and giving thanks to God, no problem at all. And then we start our marriage working at French Camp Academy, and, you know, I, I seldom had anything alcoholic. A little boy who came from a home where his father was a nice guy except when he drank, at which point this boy's father became a monster. And so this boy, removed from that abusive home, is moving into our home at French camp. And I'm showing him where his room is going to be and where the laundry room is and where the bathroom is and where the ping-pong table is. I'm showing him around the house. And toward the end of the tour, he looks up at me and says, Mr. Wood, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, do you drink? I hadn't had a drink in weeks, so it wasn't like he was smelling something on my breath. But I had to translate his question. His question was, am I safe here? His question was, can I trust you? You seem like a nice guy now, 
but so does my dad when he's not drinking. That little boy said, Mr. Wood, do you drink? And I looked at him and I said, no. And I went back in the apartment and I told my wife, I can't drink. My wife was pleased because she didn't want to drink. She had been addicted to alcohol as a teenager. And when she got saved, she got free. So she didn't condemn me for having an occasional glass of wine, but she didn't want it. And so she was happy for me to give it up. Now, why did I give it up? Because I couldn't say no to that boy and then keep on drinking. And I couldn't say yes to that boy and have him not able to trust me. Oh, but, it, I, but I, never, I never get drunk. Okay. And that's not going to help him. So I just said no. That's what this is talking about. Don't put a stumbling block in front of somebody else. Don't trip other people up because you're free. <laughs> I can do whatever I want. You know, freedom in the Lord. No, freedom to do his will. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Verse 23, that's what it says. Everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. If you can't do it with a clear conscience, you can't do it. If God begins to speak to you and say, that does not belong in your life, get rid of it. It may be an app on your phone. It may be some hobby that you thought was just a wonderful thing. It doesn't have to be sinful. If it's an idol in your life, doesn't belong. Well, are you, are you telling me I've got to give up golf? I didn't say anything about golf. Well, now you have. <laughs> Billy Graham used golf as a way of interacting with all kinds of people who he probably would never have had a conversation with otherwise. And he led a bunch of people to Jesus. For me, golf would have been an opportunity to waste a lot of money and a lot of time. I had to decide early on if I was going to be a golfer. I had several preacher friends who wanted me to golf with them. I just couldn't do it in faith. Not, not that it's a sin. That's why I told you Billy Graham used it as a wonderful thing. Alan Emery tells the story about when he was in high school, junior in high school, and his dad took him down to the yacht club and pointed to a beautiful new yacht that was out in the water. And he said, what do you think of that boat? And Alan said, wow, that's, that's a beauty. And his dad said, it's yours. I bought that for you. And his son was just blown away. Wow, thank you so much. And his dad said, now there is no reason why every member of the senior class in your high school should not hear the gospel on that yacht. <laughs> okay, guess what? During the course of that year, every member of the senior class and a number of other people got to hear the gospel on Alan Emery's boat. Is it okay to have a boat? Well, not if you're Charles Simpson. Charles Simpson was a Baptist preacher in Mobile, Alabama, and he got addicted to boats. He had a boat, and it was, it, was, it was really great, but then he saw another one that he liked even better. He ended up with three boats. Three. And he finally realized he, he had an addiction. He had a problem. 
God convicted him. He repented. He sold his boats. And I quote him. But I didn't see any problem with continuing to receive the boating magazine. And he said, he saw an ad in the boating magazine for a new type of boat that was being introduced. It's a brand new model from a great boat maker. And he decided it wouldn't hurt to just go by the marina and see if one of those was down there. So he started making trips down by the marina. It's called getting back into your addiction. Now, he didn't have a boat. He just started going down to look at boats. Whew, that's beautiful, isn't it? But I don't, see, I don't see that new one yet. Well, he kept going and kept going, and eventually one of those showed up, and there was music. It was a wonderful thing. He was drawn to it. And he began to pray, you know, I was willing to give up my boating, and I haven't had a boat now for a while. I wonder if now that I've dealt with that, if it'd be okay for me to have a boat again. And so he prayed. He said, Lord, would it be okay if I got a boat? And the Lord said, yes, you can have a boat. I have a boat for you. So Charles bought the boat that God led him to. It was a beauty. It was the nicest boat he had ever owned. It was absolutely gorgeous, and he planned his schedule so he could take his family for vacation, and they left Mobile, and they're out in the Gulf, and this brand-new, beautiful, expensive boat just totally quits. So he had to have his boat towed to another place somewhere along the Gulf Coast. His family went back home in a rented vehicle, left the boat there, Weeks turned to months. He couldn't get it fixed. He's spending money for his slip in Mobile and for the place where his boat is in somewhere else on the Gulf Coast. I think maybe in Mississippi. I'm going to sell the boat. Still wasn't fixed. Looked nice, but it's very expensive. He lowered the price. Couldn't sell it. Couldn't get rid of it. Lord, please, please deliver me from that boat. The hurricane was named Camille. Some of us are old enough to remember Camille. After the storm had done its devastation, homes and lives had been lost, Charles got a call from the place where his boat had been tied up. And this is the news he was waiting for. He said, hello. The man said, Reverend Simpson, just wanted to let you know, uh, You've heard about the hurricane. And he said, yes. He said, every single boat in our marina was destroyed except yours. <laughs> I want to repeat verse 23. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. If you're asking God for permission to do something, probably not the right thing to do. If you're saying, oh God, please, I really want to do this, please, please, tell me it's okay. It's not a good prayer. We're supposed to live a life of love. You and I need to be focused on doing the will of God, honoring Him, loving and serving others. And that means that some of the time, stuff that in and of itself 
could be okay. Owning a boat, playing golf, whatever. For us, we begin to realize, I think this is a problem. And God says, give it up. And we say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You left heaven's throne to come and rescue me. What in the world could possibly be a sacrifice on my part? Thank you for saving me. Help me to serve others and to love with your love. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.